Hey, grab your Bible and open up to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3. Philippian church plant. This is the first church plant in the whole continent of Europe. And we know uh, if we go back uh, to the beginning of this series, go back to January, and Pastor Nate preached uh, this series starting in Acts 16, uh, really when this church began. It began with three people. There was a woman named Lydia. She was a, a business owner. She, she sold purple fabric. There was this young slave girl who was, who was a demon-possessed fortune teller. And then there was a, a prison guard. He, he worked the third shift, the night shift at the city jail. And the church planter, right, the, the first pastor, Paul, he, well, he was thrown in prison, right, as he's planting this church. And, and at midnight, there's this earthquake. His, his chains, like, rattle off. The door opens. He walks out, and the church is born. What a way to start a church, right? right. I mean, this is the wrong core team. You got a, a pastor on prison break, a gospel message that, that nobody's heard, and there's no other church of its kind on the continent, that's how the church begins. But 10 years later, Paul finds himself uh, back in jail, and, uh, and he writes this letter. And put yourself in this moment. Let's, let's put ourselves right in, in Paul's spot, that he is in house arrest in Rome. He's 800 miles away from, from Philippi, and, and everything that he has, everything stripped away. I mean, his traveling, it's gone. His, his, his career, his, his ministry, his preaching, his teaching, it's, it's gone. All of his comfort, it's gone. All of his freedom, gone. I mean, other than a, a few friends who bring meals at visitation hours, everything that Paul has is stripped away and it's gone. And I imagine here when all that Paul has is time, time to sit, time to think, Time to reflect on, on life. I, I imagine life slows down. And that, that questions and, and priorities, they, they begin to, to take focus, right? And it's in this moment that life becomes clear. And here, Paul scratches out this letter to the Philippians. He sends one to the Ephesians, one to the Colossians. And here he is at the end of his life. And there's a question. There, there's a question that Paul's facing. The question is, what matters most? Church, what matters most? It's in this moment of just divine clarity that, that Paul sees it. He knows it, so he writes about it. Let's get a running start, Philippians chapter 3. Let's look at uh, verse 12, picking up from last week. Uh, it says that, not that I've already obtained this or, or am already perfect, right? Like, everybody say, like, not perfect, right? Not perfect. But I've pressed on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. But brothers, I do not consider that I've made it on my own. Again, he's, he's not perfect. He's saying, I, I haven't obtained it. I haven't arrived. Look what he says next. But one thing, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I, I press on. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In verse 15, this is really what sets the stage. It raises the question for us today. Verse 15, and let those of us who are mature think this way. So it's been 10 years since Paul planted this church. He's now writing this letter back to the church. And, and over these 10 years, the Philippian church, it's, it's been growing. 
It's been maturing. It's, it's not perfect, right? Haven't arrived, haven't obtained it, but, but there's been maturing that's been happening within this church. And, and that's what Paul is also, I would say, writing to us today. That those who are in Christ, those who are growing, those who are maturing, not perfect, but, but you should be, be growing, verse 16, he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained, right? Here, here's our question for today. How do we hold true? How do we hold on to this Christian faith? How do we grow in our maturity? How do we grow in, in our spirituality? I mean, not looking back, right? Not relying on 10 years ago and a work that God did 10 years ago, but Paul's saying, hey, the focus is today, right now. How are you growing in your walk with Christ? How are you maturing in your faith? Let us, let us hold on to it. Today, we're going to look at four practices four practices that we need present in our life right now, today, to help us grow in Christian maturity. Number one, we, we need to know who to follow, right? Our verse today, uh, verse 17, brothers, uh, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And Paul starts this, this idea, he, he starts this with, with the word brothers, or it's, it's really the word brothers and sisters. Uh, Paul's not over us. He, he's not above us. He's, he's coming alongside. He's, he's with us. He hasn't figured it all out. He hasn't arrived. Not perfect. He, he's a brother. He says, brothers, uh, sisters, join in imitating me. Imitating me, this, this is a fun word. This is a, this is a compound word, two words smashed together. There's, there's fellow and imitator, all right? He, he calls us to join him, invited to join Paul to become a fellow imitator. This word is only found one time in the Bible. It's right here, right? Outside the Bible, this, this word doesn't exist. There's no context for it. There's, there's not a book, a letter. There's no writing that has this word. This means that, that Paul had to make up this word, fellow imitator. He had to make it up for the church. There was in all of his vocabulary, no other word to describe it. So he has to invent it. Well, what does it mean? Well, what does it mean to be a, a fellow imitator? Well, look, look at the text. Uh, Philippians 3, Paul lays out his story, right? He, he, he shares his story, but instead of bragging about himself, he, he flips his story, right? It's, it's not about his resume. It's, it's not about his, his status and his image. It's not about what he's accomplished and achieved in life. He says all of that, what is it? It's, it's rubbish. He says it's, it's trash, he takes all of his success and he says, hey, the, the balance sheet of my life, you want to do some inventory on my life, the balance sheet of my life, there's, there's, there's two columns, we've got credits and we've got debits, there's assets and liabilities. You look at all that I've accomplished, all that I've done, add it, count it all up, all that I have accomplished, all of my success, all of the things that I've done in life, it's liabilities. Those are things that actually count against me. There's, there's only one asset on the balance sheet of my life. There's only one thing that actually is of substance and value and worth, and that is knowing Christ, gaining Christ. See, it's being found in the righteousness of Christ. The Bible says that has been credited to our account. That's the one thing. That's what matters most. So Paul looks at his life and he, he flips his story. He's saying the Christian life, friends, it's, it's, it's not about you. 
And there's, there's actually no way to even describe it. There, there's not a word for it. Like I've got to make up a word. I have to invent a word. The Christian life is not about us. The Christian life is about one thing, that we would know Christ, that we would gain Christ, that the righteousness of Christ would be credited to us. That's what life is about It's not about us. This is a whole new mindset, a whole new way of living that Paul is laying out for the church. So how do we hold on to maturity? How do we grow in our faith? We need to know who to follow. It says, brothers, join in in imitating me. Be, Be a fellow imitator and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. See, Paul says it's it's the local church. Like, this is where you look for godly examples. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's, it's here. It's, it's this room. Like, this is where you look for the kind of people that you want to pattern your life after, the kind of people that you want to imitate and, and, and follow and, and learn from. Because discipleship doesn't happen from a distance. Like, you, you can't just hear about it in a sermon. You can't just read a book about it. You can't just, in your own quiet time, just, just figure it out on your own. You, you need people stepping into your life, people from the local church, brothers and sisters, godly examples, men and women who, who can sit across the table from you and speak truth, pressing truth into your life. This last week, I grabbed lunch with one of our elders, just so grateful for the godly example of, of men in our church, men who, who are willing to speak into my life who are willing to to ask questions and hard questions and talk about motivations and and also bring just a ton of encouragement. Church, I can tell you that Radiance is full of these people. It is full of these people. Two things. The hardest thing, this is where we start. The hardest thing, asking. It's hard to ask for help. I mean, I don't want to look stupid. I, I don't want to look weak, right? Like, I'll just figure it out on my own. It takes humility, right, to flip your story. That's why Paul has made such an emphasis of humility in this letter. It takes humility, church, to to flip your story where it's actually not about you. It takes humility to to ask for help. Humility to admit, I I don't know what I'm doing. Humility to to give permission to invite somebody to speak into your life and and to press into you and to ask hard questions. It it takes humility. We just got to ask. Second, we got to manage expectations because nobody's perfect, right? Nobody's obtained it. Nobody's arrived. Like, we're not there yet. And so it's, it's hard to put yourself out there. It's uncomfortable. It's hard to put yourself out there and, and, and ask for help. And it's easy to become frustrated when, when people don't follow through. You gotta ask for help and you gotta manage expectations. Like nobody is perfect. To, to grow in spiritual maturity, to grow in your relationship with the Lord, you, you need people pressing into your life. Discipleship doesn't happen from a distance. Somebody sitting across the table, eyeball to eyeball, pressing in, Asking, encouraging, challenging. Church, we need people to follow. Brothers and sisters, godly examples, men and women within the local church, people to imitate and pattern your life after and follow. It's as easy as, hey, can we grab lunch this week? Hey, can we have have coffee sometime? 
Hey, would you be willing to, to speak into my, my life? I'm, I'm working through some things, and, I, and I've got a couple questions, and, I, and I'm struggling, and, and I need some help. Hey, hey, would you help me? Church, that, that's what it starts. That's what it takes. How do we hold on to maturity? How do we grow? We, well, we need an example to follow, but also, number two, we, we need a heart for the lost. Church, do you have a heart for the lost? Look at verse 18. Paul says, for, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears. There's an emotion, there's an affection. I mean, Paul's moved to tears. He, he says, oh, there's many, often I've told you, with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Those are strong words. To be an enemy of the cross. But church, we, we don't go to war with these enemies. We, we don't get mad and, and fight with these enemies. That, that's not what, what Paul says. We don't demonize these enemies. It's not anger. It's, it's anguish that we are moved to, to sadness, moved to, to tears. Paul says this with tears because he knows the only place that life comes from is from Jesus. Like the only source of, of, of lasting, sustainable joy and peace, the only place that, that true contentment and fulfillment comes from is, is Christ. And so he's, he's moved to tears because without Christ, there's just a whole lot of emptiness. There's, there's no mission. There's no purpose. There's no value. There's, there's no meaning. Paul says, many who I've told, not a few, many are enemies of the cross who I've often told you, like, these aren't mythical people. Like, church, it's, it's easy to imagine, right, even in our own lives, just mythical people, these, these mythical people who are enemies of the cross, and Paul's saying, no, 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 like, I have names in my mind. I can see their faces. These are specific people, people I know, people I love. That's why he's moved to tears. Friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, people I know, people who are a part of my life. There's many people. He says, this isn't the first conversation. He says, I've often told you that the church of Philippi and Paul, they've talked about these people. They've prayed for these people. They've shared the gospel with these people. They've probably invited these people to the church over the last 10 years, but it didn't take root. The gospel wasn't received, it was rejected. They've, they've drifted away, drifted out from the church. They, they've, uh, they've stopped re believing. They've refused to repent, and they're not following Christ. And, and what is the response of the church? It, it breaks our heart. We're moved to tears. See, Paul's maturity wasn't just how many Christians can I hang out with and never be around non-believers. Paul's maturity was to spend a significant amount of his time in the lives of of non-believers, not church people. The church is who influences us. This is who we need speaking into us. This is who we pattern and follow, and, and that's who we're influenced by, but, but we're called to influence the people outside of the church. We've got to be careful with this because evangelism can go both ways, right? That we can be evangelized to live outside the churches as well. But Paul is saying you need people in your life, people who have overcome sin and temptation, people that you can follow and pattern your life after. But don't just spend all your time there. That you need people outside the church, people that you're pointing to the hope that you have in Christ. Church, we, we don't get extra credit in heaven, right? 
for bringing people to church, for, for talking about our, our Savior with, with our friends. Like, we, we don't get extra credit. Like, well, we do that because we love people. We, we, we care for people. And we love Jesus. And we, we want to introduce Jesus, right, the one we love, to, to someone else who we love. And so we want Jesus to encounter in their life. Church, is your heart broken for the lost? Is it? Does your heart break for those who aren't here? For those who aren't a part of what we are on mission to? For those who, who aren't a part of this faith family? Does your heart break for the lost? Paul gives four reasons. Four reasons why our hearts should break. Verse 19, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with their minds on earthly things. Kind of break this down. There's four reasons why our heart should break for the lost. He says their end is destruction. The word end, it's, it's, uh, it can be translated as, as like the, the end goal. It's, it's the outcome. It's, it's the result, right? That, that life is, is moving in a, in a direction. This is a movement word. That your life is, is moving in a certain direction. And apart from Christ, that direction leads to the end result it's final judgment. It's, it's destruction. But in the, in the present, in today, right? In the future, it's final judgment. But today, the word can mean waste or ruin. See, Paul is saying that, that their trajectory of their life is going towards a final destruction. But, but right now, today, these people are wasting their life that apart from Christ, that they are, they are ruining their life. The movement of their day, the movement of their life is being wasted. It's being ruined, and this should break our heart because not following Jesus, it's not just about a future final destiny. It's about today. And without Christ today, that you are wasting your life, ruining your life. See, sin has hijacked the world. Our world is, is broken Sin has, has flipped the world upside down, and, and the world is now on this course that is pulling away from God. It's, it's refusing, resisting, it's rebelling against the Lord. And this is why life, even for us, to get caught up in it is so hard, right? That the world is, is broken. There, there's a crack in it. There's a, there's a hole in it. So life is hard. Life is messy. Life is complicated. This is why so many things are, are confusing. It's, it's broken. Sin is, has flipped the world, and now the lie is that life is about us. And so we, we look to the, to the world, which is broken and cracked, to find fulfillment and value and meaning, but, but we can't because there's this hole in our soul and, and whatever we try to squeeze into it, when we try to pursue our own personal happiness, it, it just leaks right out. The circumstances of life just, just crush us and squeeze us. And, and there's just, we become disappointed and discouraged and, and depressed. And, and we can't manufacture this joy and happiness on our own because it doesn't live within us. It doesn't come from the inside. Living this way apart from Christ, it leads to a final judgment. But, but today that you are wasting your life, ruining your life. He says their, their God is their belly. That's a really interesting phrase. Their, their God is their belly, that they, they desire and they feed their appetite. Not just feed their appetite, they, they worship their appetite. They worship their desires. They're, just, they're led by their gut. I'm gonna do my own thing, my own way. 
I'm not just ruled by selfishness. Like, like I, I worship selfishness. I, I worship myself. I, I am the, the ultimate authority. And without Christ, uh, the value is independence. But God made us for dependence. So without Christ, we, we follow ourselves and whatever makes us happy and, and whatever we're, we're hungry for, we, we feed it, but we're never fulfilled. Our desires are never truly satisfied because there's this hole in our soul and we cannot become content. We look outside of ourselves, but, but we're looking in the wrong places. Apart from God, we're, we're completely empty. We're trying to fill this hole with peace and with purpose and substance, but it doesn't last. It doesn't stick. It just leaks right on out. It says they glory in their shame. Their, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. And, and this is defining sin as something else and, and redefining terms and redefining what's right and wrong, redefining what's, what's shameful or what's not shameful. And, and with Christ, we, we do this because we try to self-justify. It's not hurting anybody. Nobody knows. It's okay. The rules don't apply to me. The, the gray areas of life just kind of melt away, and, and the laws don't apply. Sin has no consequence. Sin has no danger. God says sin. I, I say celebrate. Celebrate. I do what I want. I take pride in living this way, pride in, in walking a way that's, that's a refusing and resisting away from the Lord. There's no shame. Like, I... I maybe used to feel bad. I don't feel bad anymore. I'm, I'm numb to sin, numb to shame. It's this moral compass, our, our conscience, what the Lord has given us to, to convict us of sin, to, to help us to repent and, and return to, to him. It, it doesn't work. I, I sleep good at night. Hebrews 12 says that when Jesus went to the cross, he despises shame. Have you ever despised something? That Jesus hates shame. Here, the enemies of the cross, they, they glory in their shame, but, but Jesus, he, he hates shame. He despises shame. Hebrews 12 says he, he took his, our shame upon us. The one who knew no sin became our sin. He, he covered himself with our shame and our sin and our guilt. Do you know why? So we don't have to. He doesn't just hide our shame. He, he removes it. He, he takes it away so that we don't have to carry it, so that we don't have to, to hold on to it. And when we glory in shame, we, we, are, we are carrying it. We are trying to hold it. We, we're trying by our own strength to support ourselves and prop ourselves up. And, and, and Paul's like, no, like Jesus despises shame. He hates it. That's why he came to the cross to take it, to remove it. So we don't glory in our shame. He says their, their minds are set on earthly things. Just consume with the present. Live here and now in the moment. Live it up. Someone who gives little thought to the impact and consequences of the future and eternity, just whatever feels good, that's, that's what life's about. The problem, though, the problem we've seen is, is this is just temporary. Nothing lasts Nothing actually sticks. It doesn't fill the hole. We are restless and discontent and, and unsatisfied and unfulfilled, and, and life just becomes consumable. Life is now disposable. You know, what, what stands out to me the most is how true this is today. This was written 2,000 years ago. 
that the human condition, the human heart has not changed apart from Christ. This is how enemies of the cross, this is how those who do not know Christ live and how relevant, how timeless this is today in our present culture. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed because this is the way that God has created us to be in relation with him. And this is what happens when we resist that and we rebel that and we reject the Lord and we're not in relationship with him. See, what matters most is knowing Christ. The gospel has, has come to, to reverse all of these values of the human heart. That, that, that Paul's story, he, he flips this. He inverts it. He flips his story. And like, like Paul, that we are called because the gospel reverses the curse, that, that we are to flip our story, that, that I was going this way, a life of, of selfishness, a path of destruction. I, I was wasting my life. I was ruining my life. My God was my belly. I mean, I was just worshiping myself and whatever I wanted. My desires mattered most. Glory to my shame. I wasn't embarrassed. I was proud of it. I was an enemy of the cross. And my mind was just on earthly things, just here in the now, living in the moment. Whatever brings me pleasure, and, and that's what I'm going to pursue. But my life was going this way, but, but the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, got a hold of me, and it's called repentance. He, he turned me away, and, and now my life is going this way. It's on a completely new course, a completely new direction. It's not going away from the Lord. It's, it's running to the Lord. See, now life has purpose. Life has meaning. It's not wasted. It's not ruined. We, we realize that life's not about us. It's about dependence on the Lord. We know that life is hard, and yeah, the world is broken, and it's complicated, and it's messy, and it's confusing, but, but my shame, it's gone. My, my shame, because of Jesus, is, is removed. I don't glory in it. I don't even have it. It's covered. It's gone. So life is more than what we see. Life is, is created more from the, than the here and the now that, that I can see the future hope that we have in Christ. There's a destiny. Paul's at the end of his life and he has this just divine moment of clarity. Just, just strip it all away. The calendar, the chaos, the noise, the clutter, strip it all away. Here he is, house arrest, and he sees it. Church, there's one thing. There's, there's, there's one thing that matters most. It's knowing Christ. That's it. He's the prize. He's the treasure. And this is how we grow. This is how we hold on to our faith and grow as a local church. Those who have this mindset, those who are, are in Christ, maturing in this way. And Paul's been looking at the example of what it looks like to be an enemy of the cross. And now he, he switches, over, um, switches over to what it looks like uh, to follow the Lord. We need to know who to follow. We, we need a heart for the lost, and, and now we need a, a vision for the future. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, but, this, this is a contrast, right? Paul's changing directions here. But our citizenship is in heaven, right? We're not an enemy of the cross. Our citizenship, like our, our identity, who we truly are in Christ, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to, to subject all things to himself. 
If we take a, a step back here uh, and just kind of zoom out to chapter three, the whole chapter. Last week, Pastor Nate showed us, right, in the verses before that, that we, we press on, that, that we pursue the Lord, that we forget what lies behind, that we strain forward, we press on to what lies ahead. And the reason is because our, our past can become a prison, that if we hold on to our, our past, our past can, can, can keep us stuck and keep us from moving forward. Our, our past becomes a, a prison. Does our past influence us? Yeah. Are there things that we should remember from our past? Yes. But the past is the past. It might shape us. It might form us. But, but as, as Christians, we, we don't hold on to it. We, we forget what lies behind. We strain forward to what lies ahead. See, what gets us out of the past what gets us out of this, this prison of the past is, is having a vision for the future. That's what moves you forward. Realizing that tomorrow can be better, that I am not stuck here in my past. I am not chained to what's happened in my past. I'm, I'm going to choose to forget what's happened. And I'm going to press on. And I'm going to have a, a clear vision for the future. That's what's going to move me forward. So whatever we're suffering from, whatever we're struggling with, wherever we just kind of feel stuck in life right now and whatever's going on, that we can forget it. That we can, we can lay it aside. That we can press on to our true identity that we are called, this upward call in Christ, our, our true identity as citizens of heaven. It says that Jesus will transform us. And my life was going this way, but God got a hold of me. And now my life's going this way in repentance and that, that Jesus can transform us with purpose and meaning and value. And that's what sticks. That's what fills the hole in our soul. That's what is, is, is long-term and sustainable. The city of, of Philippi. This is a Roman colony. And 100 years before Paul wrote this, uh, the king of, of, of Rome, he set up this city. He set up Philippi to be a place to retire for his army veterans. So he gave this city a lot of special treatment, special privileges. Uh, they could purchase their own land. I mean, they were, they were even exempt from, from taxes. That's a big deal because there was just rich farmland surrounding the countryside. And there were gold mines, right, in the hills around I mean, imagine if you're looking for a house, like imagine this, this listing on Zillow, small town living, historic charm, no traffic, a strong economy, lots of jobs surrounded by gold, perfect place to retire, protected by the Roman army, a peaceful countryside to buy land and build a house, all the land you need to start a farm, and all of this tax-free. I mean, who doesn't want to live there, right? Like, like, the language was Latin, just like Rome. The military, economy, culture, everything was influenced by Rome, 800 miles away. This, this city, Philippi, wanted to be a mini Rome. It had special treatment, special status. The people in Philippi, they, they talked like the Romans. They, they dressed like the Romans. They, they walked around like the, the Romans. But most of them had never been to Rome. They looked to Rome to solve their problems. Rome will protect us. Rome will give us the, the, our orders. Rome will help us out. Rome will protect us from danger. Rome will provide us with peace. All of their hope was in Rome, but not Paul. When Paul came to, to Philippi, he was, well, he's arrested. He was, he was beaten. He was, he was thrown in prison, but he was a Roman citizen. 
And as a Roman citizen, he was actually entitled to, to a fair trial. And so he was illegally arrested, wrongfully accused and beaten, imprisoned. Why didn't he speak up? Why, why didn't Paul say something? Like, why did he allow himself to be beaten and go to jail? What matters most for Paul? It's not his Roman citizenship. See, even though he was entitled to the special treatment as a Roman citizen, that's, that's not how he wanted this church to start. Paul didn't ride into town waving his, his Roman citizenship card. He didn't want this church to become this country club for rich Romans. The first three people, he went down to the river and found Lydia who was praying. This, this, this young slave girl, fortune teller, demon possessed, says he was, he was greatly annoyed as she followed him around for days prophesying over them. So he cast out the demon. I mean, this third shift night worker, this prison guard, like this isn't a country club. This is the start of the church. And it's been 10 years, 10 years, 10 long years. And Paul is finally saying, rejoice in Jesus, not Rome. Your citizenship is not based on that country. Your citizenship is not based on, on the treatment of Rome or that status or that privilege. Your, your citizenship is based on Christ. Don't put your hope in this city. Don't put your hope in these people. Don't put your hope in, in this place. Caesar Augustus, he, he was the, the emperor, the king of Rome, and, uh, and he um, self-titled himself to be a savior, right? The savior of the world is, is what he said. It was inscriptions across the Roman Empire. What does Paul do? Flips it. He, he says, Jesus is the savior. Same word, same title, that, that Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, he is the savior. He's the one who brings peace. He is the one that we place our, our hope in. He is the one who protects us. He is the one who, who keeps us from danger, that we turn our eyes off ourselves, we turn off the city, this country, and we look to him. That's the vision for the future. Verse 21, Jesus, who, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Have you ever wondered what we're going to look like in heaven? It says it right there. He's going to transform all of our lowly bodies. What a great way to describe it. To be like what? To be like his glorious body. And we know that's true, friends, because there is a resurrection. Paul's sitting in, in chains in this Roman jail, right? He, he's been arrested. Why? Because the king of Rome sent him there. And if the king of Rome has, has that much influence and power over his subjects, over Paul, how much more does our king have over us? Our citizenship doesn't come from our family, doesn't come from our city, doesn't come from our, our, our country, our, our region where we're born. Our citizenship is based on one thing, the righteousness of Christ that's been accredited to our account that's it. And Jesus is the one who declares us to be citizens of his community, his kingdom. Paul wasn't the first one to, to say this. Uh, Paul was, was influenced uh, uh, long before, um, uh, Paul was influenced long before through the prophet of Isaiah. So before Rome was even on the map, 700 years earlier, uh, Isaiah the prophet, he, he, he wrote these, these words. And there is 
no other God beside me. A, a righteous God and savior, right? Not the king of Rome, not the emperor of Rome. There is no God beside me, a righteous God and savior. There is none beside me. Turn to me and be saved for all the ends of the earth. For I am God, there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Do you see the connection? Do you see the influence that, that this prophecy of Isaiah had 700 years earlier is showing up in the book of Philippians? That every knee shall bow, that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Paul is looking back to, to, uh, to, uh, to the prophecy of Isaiah, 700 years. He's, he's taking that, moving it forward, applying that now to Christ, that, that God has a plan. That through human history, God is working all things out in this redemptive plan. That this earth, it's, it's not our home. Church, we're, we're passing through. And the way that we are called to live, like there's not even a way to describe it. There's not even a word for it. Paul has to, has to invent one. He has to create one because Jesus came to reverse the curse. He, he flips our life. He, he repentance. He changed the direction of our life. And now we're called to be these fellow imitators because life is not about us. It's about one thing, that every knee shall bow, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is who we're called to be, these kinds of people, that life is not stationary. It doesn't just sit. Life is moving in a certain direction. There's two options. We love to pretend there's three, there's, there's not. There's two options. It's, it's either headed to destruction in the future, and that means every day is being wasted and ruined, or it's headed to a future destiny with Christ. And so we, we need this, this vision of the future to move us forward, to give us out of our past. And we can't transform ourselves. We, we need Christ, the work of Christ on the cross to do this for us. Church, do you have a vision for the future? Do you have a vision for the future? I mean, something that gets you out of bed, something that inspires you, something that, that we don't just make it up and imagine it or think about. Like this, this is in, influenced and inspired by Scripture, something that, that God tells us of what our hope looks like, something that changes how we live today. We need a vision for the future. Number four, we, we need to live in the present. Chapter four, verse, verse one, as Paul's finishing up uh, this, this idea, he's finishing up this, this thought. He says, therefore... Well, therefore, in light of all of chapter three, therefore, in light of, of everything we've, we've just talked about, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Look at these words. Brothers and sisters, my love, my long for, my joy, my crown, my, my beloved. See, Paul is telling this, this church, he's, he's telling this church as well that, that don't let your past be a prison. Don't be stuck there. Don't, don't hold on to it. No, forget what lies behind. Press on to a vision for the future. Strain and lean to the future, but be present today. Stand firm today. See, here's what Paul doesn't want to happen. 
That if we have such a, a compelling vision for the future that scripture tells us about heaven, that, that if we're just so cranked up about our future destiny in heaven, that, that we can become easily distracted and on autopilot today. That we can become disconnected from the world around us because our, our eternity is, is secure. Like we're, we're safe, we're, we're good. And so we, we become these spiritual zombies, just disconnected, not caring, not involved, not engaged in our presence today. If life can be so good in the future, well, let's just hurry up and get there, right? Like pass the red Kool-Aid and let's just make it happen. No, no Paul's saying not that, not that. Be, be present today. Jesus will come back, but our mission is now. Our mission is today that we are called to spend our lives pursuing Christ, knowing Christ, that we hold on to this faith, that we grow in maturity. And as we do this with godly examples within the church, we then share this outside of the church. This means that we have to be present, we have to be active, have to be rolling up our sleeves and engaged, the kind of men and women who, who stand firm, who have this confidence that the Lord is going to work in you and among you and through you. I want to end with, with three questions. Uh, is, your, is your past a prison? Uh, do, you, do you need to, to let go of some things from your past and you've been holding on to some shame and to, to some sin and to some guilt and, and you need to let it go? It's, it's time to despise it and move on. We can't just bury it. We can't just hide it. We, we have to hand it over. We have to give it to Jesus. Is your past a prison? Or are you living in the present? Are you fully engaged, all in, on mission, active? Are you half distracted? Are you half checked out as a Christian? There's a lot of things that Christians could be called bored is not one of them. Are you all in? Are you on mission? Are you actively, presently, continuously being involved in the work of Christ? And do you have a vision for the future? Number three, a vision for the future. Something that inspires, something that cranks you up, something that, that moves you beyond your suffering, beyond your struggles, something that's clear and it's compelling and it's contagious. Tell the world around you. See, which one of these is the Lord just pressing into you right now? The kind of people that we should be. This is a great uh, questions to be interacting with your small group this week. These are great questions that can open the door to, to meet with other men and women here in the church as you're wrestling through and, and figuring out what life is all about. So this is the kind of things that we hold on to in our Christian faith, the kind of things that bring maturity in our life, help us become the kind of people that God wants us to be. Let's pray. Lord, in full dependence, um, Lord, we, we need you. Lord Jesus, we, we can do nothing apart from you. We can do none of this on our own. Lord, you are the source of strength. You are the source of, of hope, the one who brings change, the one who transforms our life. And so, God, we, we need you. Lord, I ask that you, through your spirit, would, would be showing up in our lives God, that you would be transforming and changing us to be the, the kind of people where, Lord, we're not wasting our life. We're not ruining our life. We're, we're headed to a clear destiny. Lord, something of, of eternity. And right now, here today, in the present moment, God, that we want to be all in. 
that we want to be actively serving, actively engaged, that, that we want to, Lord, be having uh, you work in us, you work through us. Lord, you give us the courage to be telling those who don't know you. Lord, that it truly would break our heart for those who are not in a relationship with you. And God, that we pray that you would use us in ways to love, to care, to encourage, to speak, to inspire change, to convict. Lord, you would be calling the people around us to yourself. God, our hope is, is in you. Our hope is, is, is in the work that you have done on our behalf. Lord, that our, our identity it's not tied to anything that we have done or achieved or accomplished. Lord, we, we can't add any of that up. It's, it's trash. Lord, it's you. You're the one we need. You're the one we, we lean into. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. I pray this in your name. Amen.